On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you? I am doing great. I'm looking very, it's today's very bittersweet. And I think that, uh, that you know why I'm looking very forward to this conversation. But at the same point, it's kind of a sad one for me, to be honest with you. So we actually met through this podcast, you and I, and and it's been now, we've been about 20 months, I think. We, we, it would be two years in November, I think, since we recorded our first one. I think we, we released them then in January 2022 is when we started you know, getting them out there to the public. But I got to know you through this medium. And we've now been part of a little over 50 conversations together. And you are leaving podcasting as a career. And so a couple of reasons that that I want to have this conversation with you today is first, I think it's 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 a, it's really fitting that I think that we have this conversation because I do feel like I've gotten to know you as a person and a little bit what you're about. And and I wanna hopefully we our relationship continues, but I also wanna want want to have a conclusion to, to at least this facet of our relationship. But secondly, the reason you're doing what you're doing is something I think that that is really going to interest a lot of people. A major career change, moving into something that that uh, you've had experience with in the past, but has become a passion for you. I think it's just an exciting story, and I want to dive into it. So that's a long soliloquy, I guess, for to to bring us to this conversation that we're going to have today. So first, man, this is uh, exciting stuff, yeah. and uh, makes me a little sad, but also very, very, uh, I guess, excited for the future that you're going to have. Yeah, there, I mean, there, there's a couple of ways we're going to stay connected. Number one, I subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> right. So as you as you continue your podcasting career uh, with Bill, Bill is going to be a gentleman you'll the audience will meet uh, very soon. I'm going to be listening. And then secondly, I've got all your contact information. You, you know that dinner is in the future, whether it's your place or my place. And that's Absolutely. a whole different ballgame when it's my place. Right. And yep. we'll talk about <laughs> it that. It will be minute. now. We're going to talk it, about why. Yeah, it will be now. But I have loved this journey. Uh, and and th- yes, you and I align on so many different things. Uh, value-wise. And I learned that through this podcast, mainly because of all the amazing guests that you've brought on and who you've targeted as guests to bring on. Just just have very honest communication, honest questions, honest interviews. I have enjoyed this more than you'll ever know. So I want to thank you for allowing me to be a small part of this journey. I mean, it was really I intro the show, I say, hey, Brent, who you got? And you tell me who you've got. And it's always somebody amazing. I just sit there and listen. I get to be part of the live part of this, you know, where, where all the other listeners are part of the recorded version, which is great. Um, but yeah. it was fun being here with you and being able to have those the time before we hit record and even after we hit record to to get to know your your guests a little bit more and get to know you more. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what, what you're going to be doing, or I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's start actually with the journey that got you to podcasting because you're kind of coming back to something that it was very important to you for a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2001, my wife and I had been working with youth in different capacities. That was always one of our passions, one of our, something that's always been on our heart. And you've shared a lot of your background, you know, in this podcast, with my background, I I had a mom and a dad that were in my life the entire time. My wife did as well. 
Um, in fact, we're both blessed to both have our parents still. And it was foreign to me, quite honestly, growing up to have other families that were a dad was absent or parents were divorced or kids were in really, really tough, harsh situations. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, but we also didn't grow up with abuse. We also didn't grow up with lacking a lot. Um, it was just, we just, money was tight kind of thing. And so learning, and, and as I grew, I realized there are kids here in the U.S. that are worse off than me. And it was, you know, as, as a teenager, I was kind of selfish and I thought, well, poor me. No, no, no. It could have been so much worse. And I, now I've seen that side because as adults, we are privy to that, right? Unfortunately, we see that in, in neighborhoods and see that in different areas of the country. So that was always on my wife and I's heart. And so in 2001, we moved uh, from Washington State, uh, where I was basically raised and loved, to Nebraska to be a part of Boys Town. Boys Town is its own city, started by Father Flanagan, uh, who was a Catholic priest back in 1917. Uh, and the, the interesting part, Brent, is that he actually started working with men. Uh, and I know that you have mentored a lot of people uh, and you've, you've helped a lot of people in business and through your business. What Father realized was that these men didn't want to change. They were so set in their ways, um, whether they were homeless and alcoholic or, you know, abusing different substances, uh, they just they were already stuck kind of in their way. He couldn't get them to change that mindset. So he said, you know what? There's a lot of homeless kids. I need to start there. So he opened Boys Town, uh, which was about 10 miles outside of Omaha at the time and brought a bunch of homeless kids of all races. And that was, that was actually another thing that I learned more recently. He had to move outside of, Boy, uh, outside of Omaha and called it its own city so that he could actually integrate black kids, white kids, Asian kids, all different races because it wasn't allowed back then because of Jim Crow laws. Wow. So I didn't actually realize Jim Crow was up in Nebraska. It was, yeah, I, either did I, right? I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize how far it penetrated to different areas, but the city of Omaha would not let him house kids of different races in the same building. Wow. Uh, and because he started in downtown Omaha when he was starting to get these kids off the street and they said, you can't do that. So he moved outside of Omaha and started his own city. <laughs> How's that for gumption? Yeah, I talk about taking some initiative there. Now, were, were you raised Catholic? No, not at all. I was okay. raised a uh, non-denominational evangelical Christian. Um, and, and Boys Town being started by the, uh, a priest is, is one thing, but the, probably the most interesting thing is he was so dynamic that he made friends in every culture. And it was actually a Jewish gentleman that, that helped to fund all of the start of Boys Town. It wasn't the Catholic Church that backed it with money. The Catholic Church did provide a lot of other assistance and nuns and things that would help with the boys. Uh, but financially, it was it was a Jewish gentleman in the community that was really backing him. Hmm. And so how did you and your wife first discover Boys Town? Because obviously you're, you're Washington State and uh, your knowledge of the mission and the purpose of the organization impacted you enough to say, hey, wait, I'm going to move almost halfway across the country to a new location to do this thing. So how did, tell me about how you came across them to start with. Yeah, the, the first time we saw it was in, a, I think it was in a parenting magazine, just an ad, right? And, and about Boys Town, uh, maybe it was an ad about family teaching, I'm not sure. That was the first time we saw it and my wife was pregnant with our daughter at the time and we're like, well, this is not, we, we had a job that um, was developing, I worked on computers I had started doing the Y2K updates, if you remember that, oh, <laughs> way yeah, back sure. in the day for, for Amazon.com in downtown Seattle. And then the computer company I was working with asked me to do some traveling. And I said, I've got a young family. I can't. I'm not going to be away from my family because they want to be go, go on the road for like a month at a time. 
Mm-hmm. And so I talked to my boss and, and he was gracious enough. He said, you know what? I know Candy, my wife. Let's hire her too. You guys can go as a family. And so I provided a vehicle and everything for us. And we traveled around the country, which again, at 22 years old or whatever, however old we were, who gets to do that, right? On a yeah. company dime, we, we were able to sightsee all over the place. It was great. But as our kids got a little older, it's about a year and a half later, we're like, we need to settle down. My son's four. It's time for you know some preschool. And so we decided we wanted to settle down and we revisited Boys Town, did a little bit of research, um, you know, on, on who they were, what their mission was. And it was just, it was beautiful. We're like, okay, we got to, we're going to live full time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 with these kids in a home. And we'll have eight teenagers that live with us and we're going to help them. And most of them are coming out of lockup situations. Some of them are orphaned. Some of them are just their, their families. Like we cannot handle them at this point. Or there's something dysfunctional within the family itself and the kid needs to be taken out of the home for their own safety. And so we thought, well, we love it. We, we called them up. They interviewed us over the phone. They flew us out probably two to three weeks later for another interview. And, and by the time the interview was done, they said, we'd like you to move here. And so we did. And Omaha is great for a lot of reasons, but boy, is it flat. <laughs> you yes. know, before, like coming from Washington State to here is like, Wow, it's a lot of corn, <laughs> but yeah, the mission is here, right? I mean, that's that's we love it. So we were we were at Boys Town from 2001 to 2012, and the the main reason that we left was that our 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 biological kids got a little older. If you can imagine, our daughter was raised with 69 brothers, and so it was it was time to kind of have maybe her time, and and uh, we wanted to have a little bit more structure for our son, and so we decided to to leave Boys Town at that point. So when you, when you're in these homes, you basically you're bringing these kids into what essentially is your house to live with your family under your rules. A couple questions around that. Yeah. First, were you concerned that some a lot of these kids have made bad decisions to get, and also you know in their defense have been brought into very bad situations that have led them to these group homes? Yes. Were you concerned about some of those? values or behaviors being um rubbing off on your kids since they're living with them now yes yeah i mean that, that, that was a concern you know when you first do something like this you, the concerns were more like are they going to hurt my kids are they going to hurt us if they if they lose control if they they get frustrated and angry but i very very quickly learned that father flanagan i, I got to go back to one of his quotes he said there's no such thing as a bad boy it's bad environment, bad teaching, and bad example. And that couldn't be more true, Brent, quite honestly. You take a kid out of an environment that has been abusive or they have been, we had one young man that there was no abuse, but he was spoiled rotten. His, his parents gave him everything he could possibly want. And so when you throw money at a child over and over and over again, they get used to that. And then when you're like, okay, we got to pull that back, then they just throw a tantrum. It doesn't matter what age they are because they're used to being spoiled. So he was in our house when we first got here as well. And his behaviors were that of a, of a toddler, right? Throwing tantrums whenever he didn't get his way because he was trained that way, right? It wasn't, it wasn't something that he was born with. He was trained that way by his parents and his parents had to learn to do something different and he had to learn to do something different. So that was probably the first thing, but very quickly you learn that these kids, once you give them love and structure and discipline, every kid craves that, quite honestly. They, they, don't, they won't tell you, oh, I love discipline. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to tell you that, but because it's structure and it, they understand structure, they appreciate it, even if they don't like it at the moment and they excel when you do that. So 
we did actually have a situation where one of the other reasons that we left after all those years was because my son got older and as the older he got, the less he was like the protected little brother. And then all of a sudden he was becoming a peer to the young men we were having come into the home because he's a teenager and so are they. And right. so he wanted to emulate what they were. But a lot of these kids were coming out of very broken homes and gang life and, and a lot of violence. And so they're pretty tough kids. And so my son kind of looked at them and going, oh, I want to be tough. Right. So that was one of the other decisions that we made that, you know, it was time for us to go because we did not need that type of influence for him. So 2012, you make a decision to yeah. to leave or now, as we know, put it on hold. Then what happens? Uh, well, one of the gentlemen that actually Matt Halloran that started at Boys Town at the same time, his his wife and him were family teachers, just the same as Candy and I were. We became fast friends because we were in the training group together and obviously we were, were learning as we went, became fast friends and, and just ended up like brothers. He had already left him and his wife were there, I think, five years. Uh, and then, like I said, my wife and I were there for almost 12. And when we left, he and I started a company called Top Advisor uh, Coaching, and we started coaching business owners and, and uh, mainly our, our bread and butter, if you will, was financial advisors. And in 2015, I branched off from him and started my own company, Axis Coaching and Consulting. Axis, A-X-I-S, uh, and just focusing on Christian advisors and Christian, Christian business owners, because that's where my passion was. And Axis being the center of the earth, right? So is, if Christ is our center and everything revolves around that, then that's what I believe we should be doing in our life and in our entirety, business and personal. And so I started that. And in 2018 is when he actually called me up and I was still working with clients. And he said, Hey, I need your voice. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it is a, <laughs> so, it is a magnificent, <laughs> it's a magnificent voice. Why? Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so he, he said, Hey, I've, he, he transformed his company, top advisor coaching into top advisor marketing with a gentleman from Canada and uh, they were doing podcasting. And so he called and said, Hey, you want to do this? And it was just kind of a part-time thing, a little extra money on the side, a little, you know, it, it's still coaching and it's still teaching, which I, is what I'm passionate about. Uh, and then it was so much fun. It, it pretty much took over my entire business. And I, I slowly weaned down my coaching clients and took all podcasting clients. So tell me about, um, before we, before we uh, dive into the decision you made, obviously now to, to go back to Boys Town. But the podcasting thing to me is very interesting because it's a one of the reasons I'm doing this is it's a medium that I absolutely love. I love having these long form conversations. Uh, I don't like the fact that I think in our culture and our media and everything, you're breaking things down into 140 character tweets or 30 second yep. sound bites. The ability to give people the platform to express themselves for more than 30 seconds at a time, I think, is, is very valuable. What's still even surprising to me with my broker dealer, Raymond James, which I'm grateful that they that they okayed this and green lighted this. It's a really small amount of financial advisors that, that are that are doing this for a lot of reasons, compliance reasons and everything else. But what what have you found? But you've been part of this explosion now where people are talking about it more, where mm -hmm. people in in various industries, not just financial services, but in almost it could be health and wellness and all these other things, realize that they might have something positive to say or their guests might have something positive to add to this national conversation about a lot of different issues. What was it like being part of that? I mean, podcasting obviously goes back you know, well before 2018. Yeah. But I think that in this mass adoption from a lot of different people, viewing it as a medium that they can participate in, that's been relatively recent. So what was it like being in that explosion? It's... 
it's been very fascinating to me as somebody who looks at trends and, and kind of studies human behavior. Um, it, it, it has been pretty wild. The funny thing is, is that before I ever started doing the podcasting thing, I was teaching clients how to be more personal with their own clients. And a lot of it revolved around personal videos. There were, there were some programs out there that would allow you to shoot some video, two, three minutes, but it was more personalized. And I said, this is how you build relationships. You can send an email to somebody. They can't hear your voice. They can't see your face. They, they don't, they, they can kind of understand your intent, but most emails are going to be just blanket emails or, or uh, market updates, or they're going to be, you know, every two weeks they're, they're putting out a, a, a note, right? That just to, to every client, when you can personalize it and people hear your passion, they hear who you are at your core, that's when relationships are built. So I was doing some of this, but not in the podcasting form with clients beforehand. So when, when Matt called me and said, Hey, this is what we're doing. I'm like, that's brilliant. This is what has been needed for a very long time. And then COVID hit, right? people could go out places. They couldn't, they're, they're, they're getting sick of, of streaming, you know, nothing against Netflix. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy streaming my shows, but there are only so many shows you can watch. Uh, there's, there's, it becomes mind numbing if you're just binging stuff all the time, no matter what platform it is. But then podcasts give you so much more than just staring at a screen. If, if you listen to a good podcaster like yourself, you, you, it's interactive. There, there was a meme a while back where it showed what a podcast should feel like. And it was two people talking in like the studio type chairs. You can see that they're studio type chairs. And then there's somebody in a chair that's right next to them, just kind of sitting with their hands on their knees, watching this conversation go back and forth. That's the listener. They should feel like they're in the room with you. And that's what you do beautifully with your guests, because it's, it's like, you know, what your guests want to ask and you, you ask those types of questions. So when you do it well and, and people find podcasts, they get hooked very quickly. My daughter's hooked to a couple of them um, that I find interesting. I would never, you know, binge listen to, but whenever she's in the car, she just pops it on. It's, it's a portable medium that you can pause at any time. You're not going to miss out on anything. So especially during COVID, people were just tired. And so they turned to podcasting. They, they started to figure that out more. And the fact that podcasting is essentially anybody can do it. They could do it by themselves at a very, very low cost to get it out on all the different channels, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, anybody can do it, right? And, and, and we've seen that a lot of people have tried. And I think the last stat that I told you was like, most people stop after six, six podcasts. So for you to be over 50 is <laughs> fantastic, but you have something here that's worthwhile. Most people that are done at five or six podcasts or whatever, it's because they've said all they can think of to say, and then they're like, well, I don't know what else to do, right? So it's, it's fun to watch. And the growth has been explosive and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, I, I think it's just going to be, people are going to refine their craft better and it's, they're going to wean some of the stuff out. They, they self-select out, honestly, if they're doing less than six. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's something where people really find value because they feel like they're part of a conversation, even if they're not there in studio. I totally agree with that. And I think what it, what's going to be is, is the evolution of, of talk radio in a way where there's something that's, um, you know, it's, it's very comforting about hearing another human being's voice on the, whether it's the radio or whatever it is. And for me, long drive and it's better. Almost, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but it's different because it's back and forth. It's not just someone reading you a story. There's a back and forth. And, and when you, and some, many of the people we've had the pleasure to speak with, I mean, you dive into people's personal stories like your own that we're talking about today. 
every the, the tapestry of humanity is unbelievable you yeah. know and yeah. when you can and when you can get people to open up and share about that that's that's fantastic did the podcasting thing and obviously part of that whole growth what gave you the calling to now make the jump back into boys town i'm blaming my wife <laughs> <laughs> so just like every other organization boys towns having trouble finding good qualified people to work with these kids and last year they did something that i thought was very very interesting they said we we would love to be able to open it up to people that have been family teachers before because once you're part of boys town a lot of people stay so my wife was still working for boys town not as a family teacher but she was working in a another department and i could go on for about you know two hours on talking about all the different departments within boys town but she was part of a group called mst which is multi-systemic therapy and their their goal is to get a therapist into a family before a child is ever removed before they ever get to boys town so boys town wants to take care of a family before a child is removed during the process if if it has to happen while the while the child is there they're helping to teach the parents while we as family teachers are helping to teach the child once they go home there is another whole program that helps them be successful once they go back home so mst works with the family they also work with the school that the kid's going to they also work with a po if there's one involved to try to stop the 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 possibility of them being removed right so it was it, it was amazing that she she ran the show over there in a in an in a administrative capacity very very well but boys town put out this all call basically if you've been a family teacher before we would love for people to be on call with assistance so every family teaching couple my wife and i we have a, an assistant that works with us for 45 hours a week and we can use that for downtime so two days a week we get what's called downtime it's not a day off but it's downtime so we can be out of the house or we can go in our, into our private quarters and just kind of relax for a while um, we choose to usually go out and spend time with the grandkids and and do stuff date we're, we're dating again because <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have a little bit of time off and we don't have all those kids at that point um but we have an assistant that, that is fantastic he's an amazing guy um he has very similar tolerances to us so we work together very well we're very strict and and so is he um so it's great but they needed more assistance because they didn't have enough so they put an all call for on-call assistance and my wife said you know i want to i want to do that I, I i think that'd be fun i'm like uh oh here, <laughs> here we go, go. <laughs> here we go yeah. so she she you know signed up and they said yeah we'd love to have you come in this saturday and work with this home the family teachers are going to be off that day and there's nobody to cover you know would you work with them absolutely so she worked there that entire day came home and it was it was like for me it was like drinking from a fire hose because she's like oh i gotta tell you we did <laughs> she was yep. so excited brent she was just like it was so much fun i was like okay i know she's got the bug again and i've never lost it i i just i enjoy what i do um you know the decision wasn't i wasn't i'm not gonna say it wasn't easy because it was an easy decision to apply and and they asked us to come back so I, we pretty much knew it was a yes because they had already asked uh but it was like okay financially this is going to be a little bit different than we're at now you know we're gonna it's a bit of a pay cut which is fine because again if every day you're doing what you love and you see the impact and the changes it's it's a no-brainer for me and i mean it's just i don't think it's a i don't think anybody would hesitate i know you do what you do because you see the lives of your clients change and you see the multi-generational effect that you have and that's what I'm still riding high from. Like I said, we had yeah. 68 young men in our program the first time. We keep in contact with most of them. I have a young man that his father was terrible 
I mean, he was just abusive, verbally abusive. I mean, treated him terribly. And he said, I, I don't, I'm never going to be a dad. I don't want to be a dad. I can't imagine being a father because there really isn't a good father out there that I've seen. And I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but through that relationship, he finally told us, you know, near graduation, he goes, you know what? I think I could do that. Now he's got four kids. He's coached all their baseball teams. He's 35 years old, his wonderful wife, beautiful family, successful in, in his job. Uh, you know, and, and those are the things that I still carry, right? That, that, that fuels me for these, these guys that I have in my house now, because right now they're knuckleheads. <laughs> right now they're not making good decisions. <laughs> I know that through love, through discipline, through structure that we're providing, and the fact that they're not in lockup, they're going to get more out of this than they think. And eventually these young boys are going to be young men and then they're going to be men with families and they're going to be successful contributors to society that they would have just been a drain before. Yeah. Long answer to a short question. <laughs> but, but give me, so, so now that you're back, you just now, it's been the last three months, four months yeah. that you now are back in the house Yep. and you've got now, you've got now kids coming in. What is that like? Because now you're, you're taking young men that have been coming out of very challenging environments. And it could be like you mentioned being spoiled to outright awful abuse to you name it. And you're putting them all together. First of all, in this house where I'm guessing they don't know each other and they don't right. know you like what's day one, like for, for a, a, a young man that arrives at your house. A lot of side glances. <laughs> they look at us really suspiciously. Like, why are What's you really here? But yeah, what yeah. what what do you get out of this kind of thing? Yeah, and and they get if anybody looks at what Boys Town is, and they if you Google it, if you like Google Maps, Google Map Boys Town and see what you find. It's its own city. It looks like a very wealthy neighborhood. It looks like a college campus. A lot of times, people say uh, there's a high school, middle school, fire department, police department, post office, hospital, all on campus. A lake that we get to fish at, a water tower, just like any other small town. And you'll see it looks like a, a college campus or a very wealthy neighborhood. So they, they think that, oh, well, maybe they get paid really well or whatever. They have no yeah. idea what to expect. And yeah. honestly, Brent, it's a trust issue, right? Why should they trust me? Why should they trust my wife and I? They shouldn't, quite honestly, at the get-go. I don't want them to from moment one because that would be a red flag to me. If you trust right. somebody the first time you meet them, no. So we build that trust over a bit of time. And, and when we hold them accountable, and we tell them, and we don't raise our voices to them, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what they've experienced a lot. We don't hit them, which a lot of them have experienced before. Uh, you know, I had, had a young man that decided to steal something from a peer. We knew he did it. You know, I'm just like, here's the thing. You made a mistake, own it. Don't own the thing you took, own your mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? It took about two hours for him to admit that he had done it. And I said, okay, great, great job. Go get it. Let's give it back to him. And then you're going to make an apology. I'm going to what? you're going to make an apology because how would you feel if somebody stole something from you? It's, it's, it's kind of those rationales that you go back and forth and you teach them understanding. You teach them empathy. You teach them compassion for somebody else because a lot of it is fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. When they first come in. And so it's, it's just a process. Some kids are harder to, to break through to than others. Some of them don't get it. I, I, t I think I shared with you, we had a young man that he was with us for about a month. He was a transfer from another home. It was kind of a, hey, this is his last chance. He just refused to change certain behaviors and he got terminated. He, he was released from the program because I, I will fight for my guys until the very bitter end. And they know that. However, 
if they're if they're doing something that's going to jeopardize somebody else's treatment or somebody else's progress and and making a better life for themselves, I can't defend them at that point. I can't put another kid at risk. And he was he was having some relations with girls, and the girls that come to Boys Town because there are boys and girls, they have their own issues. And and sure. most people on this you know they're listening to this can figure that out. There a lot of them have been abused. A lot of them have been over sexualized, and so they seek out love and understanding and support from a male figure in wrong ways a lot of times and especially when it's another teenage boy they want that approval so badly that they do things that they they just shouldn't because they think that's what they have to do and if if the boys are taking advantage of that or just being a participant in that that's going to harm her in the long run and so he ended up being terminated and it's it's always heartbreaking but at the same time again, we're not going to risk anybody else. Right. So some kids get it very quickly. And I don't know if I showed that, shared the story with you, but there was a young man who was in lockup and came to us and he was only with us for about a week before we went to a a town called Okaboji in Iowa. Boys town has a small camp there and they have speed boats and they, it's like a three day vacation for the kids. And so three of our houses go over there. And so, and they have speed boats and, and all sorts of different activities. And so I'm out there yanking this kid around on a tube and he's having a great time and we pull him back into the boat and he sits back. He's exhausted because he's been hanging on. Right. And he's dripping wet. And he goes, can you believe this? And I was like, what? He goes, last week I was in lockup, but today I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I got choked up. I'm like, oh, you know, this, this is why we're back. Right. This is why we came back because we know that there's opportunities out there for these kids. And it's not all about skiing and, you know, inner tubing behind a boat. It's about not being in lockup and yeah. getting an education and having three square meals a day and somebody who loves you and, and peers around you that you can go play football with or go fishing with. And it's about being a kid, right. And then becoming a man or becoming a young woman. Do you, you have a challenge when you bring these young guys in with them being willing to accept themselves that they have worth? Yes. Because the narrative for them has been the opposite. Yeah. A, a lot of it, a lot of it, not, not all of them. A lot of them have, have had supportive parents. And, and I'll tell you a, a lot of the situations that, that, that end up happening is that, and, and it's, it's fathers, the lack of fathers. It's just, yeah. let's just be very, very honest. Men that are, have left these kids lives are young men specifically. So now you've got a single mom who's working her tail off, probably has a couple of kids, most likely in, in most scenarios they do working their tail off. At a, at a job that they're maybe spending 10 hours a day, maybe even 12 hours a day trying to support a family because there's no other support because the men are gone. Yep. And now you got a teenage boy that comes home from school. Nobody's there because mom's at work. She's trying her best, but she can't hold him accountable. She can't discipline him the way she should or could want to because she's not there. Right. And by the time she comes home, he's already going out and doing stupid stuff. So he's getting in trouble with the law. He's getting, he's involved in these other kids that are just on the street, which is usually a gang situation. Right. And then they, they fall in. I don't want to say fall into, they choose, they choose to do the wrong thing because that's where they're feeling support because they're not feeling supported at home because again, mom's out working and it, it's, it's, I don't want to call it a catch 22, but it is such a trap at this point that because of the lack of, of strong, stable families, these kids fall through the cracks. And the, the, so, where they get caught is in the court system. And then they end up either in jail or they come to us. And, and I thank God for any program that, that will work with youth to get them out of lockup because they don't belong there and, and help them to see a better way. 
So yeah, it's, it's that self-worth is, is a big, big piece of it. And they have to learn that. I've got one young man who we're almost to the point where we need to either stop phone calls home. Not that we want to separate him from his family, but every time he calls his, his father gets on the phone and, and says, well, it's only a matter of time till you screw up. You're doing well now. You can tell me all that all you want, but I know you and you're going to, you're going to blow this. And it's just like, and then we have to work with him for the next two to three hours. Number one, he's usually crying at that point. And then we just have to work with him and, and tell him, you know, this is this, it isn't true. You don't have to do that. You're doing really well. You're trying new things. He's, he's, he's tried, uh, so far he's tried football camp. He's in wrestling camp right now. He's trying things that he's never done before getting some physical exercise, which he, you know, he had bounced around from foster to foster to foster before. And a lot of foster families are great. Some of them just say, Hey, sit on, sit down and relax and we'll get you some food. And that's kind of where he was at. It was like watching TV all day, playing video games and they'd feed him. So he gained weight and he's like, I don't feel good in my body. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to get you some exercise, buddy. And so him and I ride bikes, you know, and, and, and do that together because I could lose some weight too. You know that. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it, it is hard to break through that self-worth or that doubt of self-worth. Um, again, each kid's different, but this one we're working on a lot right now because he's, he's heard a lot of negative things and he needs to understand that there's so many positive things about him. What percentage of these kids that you have coming in come from single parent or broken households? Oh, I, I couldn't give you a percentage, but the vast majority. I remember, um, so out of like right now, out of my six that I've got, and I'll have two more by the, by the time school starts, I get another one here in a week. Um, and then another one I think comes two weeks after that out of my six right now, one has a father in his life that is active and, and positive. The other one, like a, the one I just mentioned, he has his father and he has a grandfather involved, but no mom, um, which is more rare, uh, that, that there's not a mom involved, but the, the rest are single family households, or maybe he's got, you know, some aunts or uncles that are around, uh, but the, the, the father's not in the picture. Yeah. And, and I, you know, that's absolutely tragic as I will say that, you know, come on, man, men in this country got to step up. We have to, I mean, the fact that you look at, it's not a popular opinion, but it's statistically true. Graduate, graduate from high school. Don't have a kid out of wedlock. You eliminate like 95% of the poverty and a ton and ton of bad outcomes. Yeah. And to, you know, any men out there that, step up and take responsibility, mm -hmm. you know, because when you have kids, it ceases to be about you. Yeah. It's not about you anymore. Um, yeah. and I I'd, think that, I'd love it if they heard that message really, truly not, took it to heart. You can't say it though. You know, it's one it, yeah. of those politically incorrect things. And that, and that, if anything, that is not a knock on, I mean, if you look at the, at, I think the person in this society that has one of the hardest positions in the entire world is a single mother. Yeah. That's trying to do all of these different roles. And the reality is, is men and women are wired differently. You know, mm -hmm. there's the empathy that my wife will deliver to our children in a way that I, I'm incapable of doing. There's mm -hmm. discipline and structure that I can deliver on the kids in a way that she's not capable of doing. And, and you really need both of those. But what you're finding is, and it's a blanket statement, it's not true in every case, but statistically anyway, you know, the moms are there doing everything they actually they absolutely can. And where are the dads? And I think yeah. I think about a lot of these social problems, not to get off on a soapbox, but we do have in this country right now. Where are the men? Where oh, are the men? Yes, 100 percent. Where are 100 percent? Yeah. Where are they? They, they don't you know, they're either intimidated because they don't want to be called 
whatever, you know, whatever name it might be, or they're just content to, to, to not care. I mean, it's, and, and to hear what you're doing now, like you're, you're, you're essentially taking on the role of dozens, dozens of men in this case, but I was just from my own perspective, from my own curiosity, I guess I was wondering what you saw there. I guess it's different for every kid, but how is there a moment when a light clicks for them where they realize, okay, this is different. I can trust Eric. I can trust his, I can trust his wife. I can trust the space that I'm in. Does that happen on, is, is there a, is there a flash? Is it a light bulb moment or is it something that takes time? A bit of both. It takes time, obviously, I, yeah, but yeah, I, I hate to say it that way, but it is yeah. a bit of both. There are times when you will absolutely see the behaviors change 180 degrees. And that's when we know they're bought into the program. They're bought into my wife and I, meaning right. they, they, they have that trust. They know that they, they can let their guard down. Some get there like in, a, in, the, in that moment and they just completely flip a switch and that's it. Some of them, it takes time and it's, it's very, very gradual, but it's almost like it's, it, it's like climbing a mountain just very, very slowly. And then you just see them at that summit. You're like, okay, they're, they finally kind of arrived. Right. Yeah. And then the other group is a uh, perfect example is my wife was as when she was doing the on-call assistant job one day, she was out with the boys at a park. She had taken them out and they had never been to that park before. There were so many things to climb on. And, and it was, it was stuff for kids, but it, they built it for big kids and adults to be able to climb on too. So everybody could play together. And all these kids are having such a great time. And she saw this kid laughing and laughing and laughing. And all of a sudden he just stops and he looks around and then he's like, he just kind of takes a deep breath and he walks off and he walks mm-hmm. over to this tree and he ends up climbing into the, you know, one of the branches and he just sat there and, and Candy's like, that was really just an odd moment. Right. And she walked over and she realized very quickly, he realized he was having fun and he wasn't supposed to, he wasn't supposed to have fun because that would be a kid having fun, which he is, but he was living on the street for two years, taking care like in and out of a car, things like that. He was taking care of his father who was alcoholic and abusive and just trying to keep him safe. And he had to be the adult at 14. And so now you're in an environment where you can, you can be the kid. You don't have to get the food. You don't have to prop somebody up as they throw up on themselves because they're just drunk out of their minds. You don't have to do all these things anymore. You can have fun. You can play at the park. You can ride bicycles. You can go fishing and, and not worry about what comes next or if you're going to eat that night or any of that. And so he battled with that back and forth. And I've, I've seen him lately. He smiles a lot more. We hope that he's getting to that point because he's not in our home. He's in another home, but it's, we've seen kids like that before where they just all of a sudden they're like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be this happy kind of thing. And we just have to, they're not computers, but we have to reprogram them. We have to reprogram the way they think and what, and what they know as a reality that what was before wasn't right. That, that was not how a, a young person should be living from 12 to 14 in and out of cars or shelters. And you being the main person bringing food to your, your younger sibling and your, your father. Right. No, you know, and their younger, younger sibling is also in a, in a program where they are getting help as well. So it's not just him, but yeah. So it, it, it is individualized for sure. So tell me, obviously your, your Christian faith is very important to you. I would, 
I'll, I'll go on a limb and say it's probably a big part of the, of the journey that led you here. Mm-hmm. Is that part of your teaching with the kids or like, how, how do you, how do you weave? Cause, cause I do think everyone has religion and, and mm-hmm. there's no true. I, I do not believe that there are true atheists or secular humanists. There's, there's people that have, everyone has an ideology that they will live by. So there's some, there's some kind of value system there, but do you, teach that to the kids or how does how does religion or faith play a role in how you develop these young men i'm going to go back and 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 quote father flanagan because again when he set up boys town he did not set it up as a catholic organization necessarily now the, the catholic church was heavily involved which is great but he accepted every child every child muslims jews uh people of all faith could go there People of no faith could go there. Native American kids. So I, I, I have a Native American young man in my in my program. He does not claim to be Christian or or of any faith. Father Flanagan's quote was: "Every boy must learn how to pray. How he prays is up to him." Okay. That was that was the, he how he ran it. He's like, yeah, "We're going to respect everyone's race, creed, color, culture, all of it, because these kids should not be homeless, right?" And that's what he was really facing. Um, especially during the depression. I mean, you had kids that were just shipped off or abandoned. So that's, mm-hmm. he had, at one point, he had like 1,200 kids at Boys Town on the farm. We we don't have that capacity now, but he made it work, right? right? So as far as our teaching, we respect all religions and all faiths. Our Native American young man does not go to church on Sunday, but we do require him to understand and study his faith. He is involved in sweat lodges and and we're going to a powwow actually next week. Um, so we want to be a part of his culture and he, he loves, oh, good Lord. He and my wife had a contest to see who could cook the best fry bread. And he was so excited to bring that to the other boys in the home, right? Because that's, that's part of his culture. culture. That's part of his heritage. As much as my wife is Hispanic and you and I spoke about the fact that we run Cinco de Mayo here and, and we had 150 people over at our house on Cinco de Mayo. We were only, we were only in the home two weeks, (laughs) but they knew we were back and that's something that we had done before. So all of it is celebrated. And so we have Muslim kids on campus that they go to their own services on, I think they go on Fridays. Um, we have Jewish kids that they go on Saturdays, right? So it's, it's, it's something that we encourage them to explore their faith, understand their faith. So we do have a Catholic church on campus. We do have a Protestant church on campus. They're, they're beautiful. And the majority of the kids go there on Sunday and they just split and, and we as family teachers take them there, participate with them. Uh, and then we do come back together, usually Sunday brunch, and we talk about what we learned in church. And if our young man has done any study in that morning, he, you know, we ask him, what did you learn about your faith or what, you know, what did you study this morning? And so it, it's an opportunity for them to understand and have that diverse group and not judge somebody by any of those things that right now the public judges everybody by, right? Sure. So they learn how to live with each other and, and different ways to pray and different thoughts to think and, and really understand where somebody else comes from. Now, none of this is free. How does Boys Town pay for all this? So there's a couple different ways. Number one, there are privately placed kids, but that's rare. It's just okay. really rare. Um, it would be, we did have that one young man that I, I told you about before that was ultra spoiled. His, his parents paid full price every every bit of his stay they paid for and because they could afford it i mean they were very very extremely wealthy but most of the kids like i said are probably coming out of a lockup situation and so the state you know they they are paying a certain amount per day for a child to be incarcerated um, and they will pay a certain amount 
to Boys Town per day for them to be at Boys Town. Um, I don't know how the billing works. We don't get into any of that as family teachers. We don't care. That's not our job. Fin- the financial department, that's their deal. So th- the states don't pay what it costs to keep a kid here. They never will because it's expensive to, to, you know, to provide all these things for these kids and the schooling and the educational support. For every year they go to school here, they make up about two to two and a half years of, of what they've lacked because most of our kids come to us three or four grades behind. So right. Boys Town's able to catch them up and have them graduate on time, which is insane. It's That's crazy incredible. how good they are. Yeah. So there, there's all these different things that Boys Town provides. So one of the main things is donations, uh, right? Now, there was a 1938 movie with Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy called Boys Town. It was modeled after Father Flanagan. It was his story. Um, wonderful. It won an Academy Award. The Academy Award is sitting in our little museum here on Boys Town property. That really obviously boosted. Actually, I found out that right after the movie came out, donations dropped because people thought, oh, they must have made a ton of money from the movie. <laughs> yeah, Boys Town did not make a ton of movie, <laughs> you know, money from the movie. And Spencer Tracy actually partnered with Boys Town after that. When he heard that, he went on and made public announcements and he spoke in public multiple times. Look, Boys Town didn't make money off this movie. This yeah. was a, you know, this is a private endeavor or whatever. Please donate. And so donations raised at that point. But yeah, it was, it was a little scary there for a moment in the late 30s, you know, especially after the depression and everything that, oh, they made a bunch of money. We don't need to donate anymore. No, no, <laughs> please do. <laughs> so well, how do people, how do people find Boys Town now? If, Boys they, Town. If, they, if this story has inspired them, how they yeah. learn more and potentially help out. Boystown.org. You'll find everything there all the different programs, all the different ways people help. And yes, there's definitely links to, um, you know, how you can donate. Uh, specifically, there's so many different ways you can donate helping kids future education. There's a lot of people that like, you know what, I want to give scholarships to the graduates. That's a beautiful program. You know, the, this last year we graduated. Oh, I want to say there was just over 70 young, young people, young men and women. And a lot of them walked away from here because of the work they've done with close to full ride scholarships for college. Wow. It's incredible because where else are they going to get their money right they're coming from very impoverished areas and and they've changed their life and there are a lot of people that are saying you've done well let's reward you um, and then other people obviously they donate to boys town and its cause and what they what they do here um, on a daily basis well it's it's a wonderful story obviously we'll stay in contact for sure but yeah. i obviously wish you and your wife and all these young men that you're mentoring and, and bringing into your home, uh, the absolute best. And I know that, uh, that you're, 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 you're making generational changes here with these, with these kids that you're working with. And, and as you mentioned, when they, when they grow up then and have their own families, like you've broken a cycle here. And so I can't possibly commend you enough. And, and from my standpoint, it's just, it's been awesome getting to know you now for um, pushing two years. Oh, not quite. And I'm looking forward to many more years of, of friendship with you. Yeah, Brian, I, again, thank you. This, this has been amazing. And, and yeah, I hope to continue the work that we started the first time and, and uh, have many more success stories coming, coming your way. Definitely. All right. I guess I got to close this out one more time, right? You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for the last and final time. And, and man, what a blessing this has been. Uh, thank you so much listening audience for listening to the smart money simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do, right? Because here's the thing. He's got more guests better than me coming up and you're going to learn a ton. So please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we do humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this will help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. 
and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.